Good evening, and peace be with you. We open tonight a little differently than usual, so I will have you stand if you're able, and open your bulletin to the first page where it is the call to worship, where we speak from Isaiah 53 and Hebrews 4. He was wounded for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You may be seated.
Will you please stand if you're able? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us confess our sins to God our Father, most merciful God. We confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name, amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his Son to die for you, and for his sake, he forgives you all of your sins. And as your called and ordained servant of Christ, and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, graciously behold this, your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and delivered into the hands of sinful men to suffer death upon the cross through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Good evening. The first reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verses 13 through chapter 53, verse 12, and this can be found on page 1145 in the Pew Bible. Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. 
See my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their inequities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, he, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor, transgressors. We will read Psalm 22. It's printed in your bulletin on page 4. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? But you do not answer by night. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. 
Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his, his righteousness, righteousness, declaring to, to a people yet, yet unborn, unborn, he has, has done it. The next reading is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. And this can be found on page 1866 in the Pew Bible. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, and 5, 7 through 9. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, 
And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Here ends the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you please stand if you're able? This is the Holy Gospel according to St. John from the 19th the 19th chapter found on page 1861. Glory to you, O Christ. John 19, verses 17 through 30. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now many of the Jews read the sign, for the place was where Jesus the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. And the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. Now this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let us not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. Now this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister and Mary, the life of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, behold your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
in the name of Jesus. The greatest offense in the church is the cross. It is the scandal of scandals. It is a stumbling block for all nations. The cross in the sanctuary right now, there and, and here, are veiled. The image is cloaked in darkness as Christ was covered by the darkness of sin and death and judgment. On Passion Sunday, Christ hid himself from the Jewish leaders lest they stone him before it was the right time to lay down his life. You see, the knowledge of Christ and the atonement was not revealed to the wisdom of men. So there is a hiddenness about the cross. The cross is foolishness to the human mind. And what God has done there confounds the best thoughts that man can think up apart from the Spirit of God. A veil of ignorance concerning these matters remains upon the minds of all who are perishing, all who are perishing apart from faith. So consequently, the sight of the cross is an offense. What God has done there appears ugly and nasty. So many, even some Christians, shy away from the sight of a crucifix. What they want is a nice, sanitized cross that they will more easily accept. But why is there a need to show the suffering, the suffering dead Son of God? It seems so cruel and so painful and, and so awful. We naturally like the beautiful Savior. We do not like the hideous Redeemer. Or as the Lord said through Isaiah, the holy prophet, which we heard tonight, as many were astonished at you, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. The ugliness 
of the cross includes this, that we, the human race, rejected Christ. We didn't want a Savior. We did not want him to shed blood for us. The very best of the pious among us might have said with Peter, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. We did not want nor think that we needed this ugly, nasty atonement. We would have preferred a nice, gentle, pretty atonement. Sweet. Clean. Pleasant. But that is really the old Adam pulling the wool over his own eyes. The old Adam that was drowned in our baptism wants us to cover up our eyes. We do not want a redemption by blood because we think that our sin is not all that serious. But it is most gravely serious. Our sins show a rejection of the law of God. Our sins show a rejection of his right to judge us, which is also why we naturally turn away from the crucifix. We want ourselves on the throne and God serving us. We want the right to complain to him when things go wrong as if he were some employee whose work performance we have the right to evaluate. You've seen me say, I wouldn't do it that way. It's our flesh. We want the right to make our own choices and determine our own course and follow our own heart as if we are pure of heart and mind. And when we want to be on the throne as judge, we do not realize what that means. Christ shows us. He says, here is the throne. And he allows himself to be nailed to the cross. He says, here is the crown. And they jab thorns into his brow. That is what the king does. He dies to save his people. And nowhere is he more the king than on the cross. That ugly, nasty, sorrowful place. Christ is indeed the king of glory. He is exalted on high, yet his appearance as he wants to be known to us is a jolting shock. What he considers glory is repulsive to our flesh. Now the banner 
And the flag of Christianity is the cross. It's right there. If we learn by the Spirit's teaching, if we learn by the Spirit's teaching, we see the cross as the wonder and majesty of God's love for us. When we learn to love the image of, a, of our Savior's suffering, we are taught what true glory is to us. The knowledge of the Savior has come. And we Gentiles had good news come to us. We are not Christ's people without any right to his heritage or inheritance. Yet his testimony, testament is also for us. It says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, all, not some, all, not some had their sins placed upon the suffering servant, who is Jesus Christ, all, and he would not allow any, any sins to go unatoned for, and even so, Many will not receive the benefits because they reject the benefactor. But for us, for us who see the truth of his cross, we know that he has died for us. So Isaiah says, For that which they had not been told they shall see. And that which they had not heard, they shall consider. So, stay with me. So we see the sight of the Savior crucified for us. We see our sins placed upon his body on the tree. And we see our salvation in his blood, written in his blood. This is the meaning of what the prophet writes, that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. They are our sorrows, not his. He, the beautiful and holy, gracious Son of God, in his immaculate grace, should never have had to shed a single tear but he wanted, out of love for us and obedience to his Father, he wanted to carry all the pain that belonged to us. And our pain should have been eternal. And there should have been no end to our suffering, no comfort for our sorrows. But Christ, he took all of that upon himself. And here is the core of the scandal of the cross. The cross shows us, like a mirror, exactly what we deserve. 
If we cannot accept the fact, then we will take offense that anyone would judge us that harshly. Our flesh says that surely we do not deserve hell and all its anguish, which can only be removed from us by the atonement of the life of the Son of God. But if we accept it and, and say, this is God having mercy upon me, the sinner, then we receive the cross as a precious treasure to us. So it says, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. The word seed usually means descendants, but Christ had neither children nor wife, at least not according to the flesh. And although he did not have children by blood, he had them by his blood. He created his family and household by the redemption that he suffered to accomplish. This seems to be the meaning of that difficult word that Isaiah, Isaiah wrote in chapter 9 when he, when he wrote, For unto us a child is born. You remember this? Unto us a Savior or a Son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now the difficulty comes where it says that Christ will be called Father. But Christ is not the Heavenly Father, although he is equal to the Father and one with the Father. Yet Christ does not have children in that he begets us by his redemption. And by the cross we are made his people. We are born in the waters of baptism in which we are united to him in his death. Renewed, born again. So we are his children by faith. Or to say it in the words of Isaiah, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That Christ creates children by redemption is clearly the meaning in our text today. Because Isaiah says, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. And therefore it is in the act of suffering and dying that Christ creates his church. His church, which is his seed. We are given birth by the forgiveness of sins found in the blood shed on Calvary. Or, to say it another way, because he died, we live. So Christ cries out, it is finished. Isaiah says he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied 
Before he reached the cross, Christ was filled with sorrow and wished it were already accomplished. And when it was completed and his sacrifice was perfectly attained to the very last, then he was deeply satisfied. He had accomplished the most magnificent and wonderful thing that had ever been done. Not just a a magnum opus, but a opus maximus. That is the very greatest work that none better could exist. If anyone is to be righteous, if anyone is to be righteous, it must be through faith in this work of the suffering servant on the cross, Christ and him crucified. And by his knowledge, that is the knowledge about him, which includes faith in him, in this we are declared innocent by the great judge. There is no other way to be innocent in God's sight. This is the main point of the text and the main, the main point of the cross. If we are caught up in absurd questions like, how could God let his son suffer so much? Then we will not get it. Or if we take offense and say, the cross is too ugly, or the cross is too Roman Catholic, then we miss the point. But if we learn through the Holy Spirit to know Christ through the cross, then we get it. If we see in the cross the defeat of sin and death, then we have what we see. And if we see that the cross is our victory, then we understand it properly. The thief, next to Christ, he understood. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief did not see the true meaning of Christ in the ugliness or the tragedy or the injustice. No, he saw the king entering his kingdom. He saw the man to whom one must beg in order to enter the kingdom. So we beg, we say, Lord, have mercy on us. Crucified Lord, remember us also in your kingdom. And it's not as if he has a faulty memory. No, he sees and he loves us and he will never forget us. And we will surely enter his kingdom by his grace, his grace alone. And for the mighty king, we know the mighty king has won the battle. We know that he has crushed the head of the serpent, and he has carried away the spoils of war. What are those? Well, we are the spoils of the war. We are the treasure he has carried off from the devil's kingdom, where once we were held captive in our sinful 
wretchedness. And all this, the wonderful mystery of the holiest man taking the place of sinners, he was numbered among the transgressors so that we might be numbered among the saints. And so we are. Yes, you are. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast on Good Friday, let us pray. Dear Lord, God Almighty and Heavenly Father, we gather this evening to praise your holy name. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving our souls through the sacrifice of your only Son, Jesus. Thank you seems inadequate, but you know our hearts, and these are the best words we have to express our sincere and humble gratitude. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us and within us. We can't imagine the shock and despair felt by the apostles and others nearly 2,000 years ago when they failed to remember that Jesus told them that he would be put to death 
but would then return on the third day. All their hopes and celebrations were on a new saving king who would destroy their enemies and free them from oppression on earth. Father, their plans were not your limitless and perfect plans. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for reminding us once again tonight that Jesus always keeps his promises and always speaks the truth, since he is the truth. We need not despair of our future because we know that Jesus' horrible sacrifice wasn't to save us from our troubles in life, but rather he paid the ultimate price for our sins against God the Father, and he saved our souls for an eternity in heaven. We pray for patience and trust in our Lord's promise to bring us home when we are called. We pray for those who are lonely, distraught, fearful, in despair, or frustrated and angry. Please help us provide the care and counsel that would alleviate their stress and bring comfort to those who feel lost and powerless. We pray for those around us who may not yet know God or his saving grace in Jesus. We pray that you, Holy Spirit, will open their ears to hear your call. We pray for the safety of our military members, police, firefighters, and medical professionals who continue to face danger every day. Please shield all of them from harm. We pray for the Ukrainian people who are suffering the ravages and evil of war. Help peaceful nations find a path to stop Russian aggression and restore stability to Europe. Dear God Almighty, thank you for causing your word to be written in Holy Scripture that we might not forget your commands, your precepts for our lives, and your constant love for us, even when discipline is required to get us back on the right path. Finally, we now share with you our personal prayers kept deep in our hearts or spoken aloud. Into your hands, Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and grant you his perfect peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. the power of the cross. 
그 아침 전엔 진 